2: Hello and welcome to episode 95 of the Partly Political Broadcast, a podcast that laughs in the face of politics, only for politics to laugh with it, causing me to say, no wait, we were definitely laughing at you. I'm and Duyeb and as me and my wife are still waiting for our tiny offspring to finally decide to emerge, we are very much like all the Russian people who've got stuck with shaved mongoose Vladimir Putin for another six years. We both know there is now little chance of immediate removal without some sort of outside help. Yes, the Russian presidential elections have taken place. And, of course, Putin has won yet again. Surprise! A certainty that the Pope probably uses now to check his religion by and bears their latrine locations. I mean, what are the other possibilities other than Putin winning? That somehow one of the seven other candidates won, even though they included, I don't know, a traffic cone, a child's drawing of a snail, Bernard from Guess Who, and the theory of regret aversion, which probably came second? I mean, I'm not saying this election was rigged but with the opposition leader conveniently arrested for a fraud conviction meaning he couldn't run and loads and loads of reports of election tampering I'm saying that if it had sails attached it'd definitely be a fucking massive boat. To encourage voter turnout various polling stations had free snacks and entertainment in the form of acrobats or jugglers which I have to say sounds pretty enticing although it does really highlight how the whole thing was a total circus. Putin won by over 76% of the vote, which is better than his 2012 victory, but also, if you're going to basically wipe out the opposition and rig the whole thing, still quite shit. Because, I guess, it's very hard for people to like evil Morph, even if you're forced to. Maybe Putin didn't want to get 100%, as that would be a bit too obvious, you know, that it's not a democracy. But, I mean, everybody knows now how it works, so you may as well play along with it. I mean, if I was Putin, I'd have had the person announcing the election results open an envelope and say, the winner is la la land you know just for shits and giggles Putin told a rally in Moscow that voters had recognised the achievements of the last few years which is a bit like a terrorist applauding their hostages for doing what they'd asked because they'd obviously been paying excellent attention so far gold star everyone When asked if Putin would be running again in another six years, he said, what you are saying is a bit funny. Do you think I'll stay here until I'm a 100 years old? No. Which, as he's currently 65, is obviously his way of saying he's staying for another five elections. Well, if any Russians seeking change would like tips on how to get rid of Putin, then they should take tips from British Defence Secretary and schoolboy with a withering disease, Gavin Williamson. His way of dealing with Vlad's regime was to tell them to... Shut up and go away, because he's a big boy and if they don't listen to him, he'll tell his mum you total scrambled egg face. Yes, this is Gavin Williamson, who was apparently very intimidating when he was Conservative Chief Whip. I mean, really? What did he do to rally Tory votes? Tell them they were all bum-bum faces and that his dad was bigger than theirs? A spokesperson for the Russian Defence Ministry responded by calling Williamson a vulgar old harpy, something that isn't very fair as he only looks about six. I can't work out if it's absolutely terrifying that two countries' defence departments are resorting to playground slurs or if this is actually a positive as it means rather than a nuclear war it could just result in catapults by the bike sheds at dawn. All of this is, of course, the continued fallout from the suspicious nerve agent poisoning of former Russian intelligence officer Sergei Skripal and his daughter in Salisbury. The conditions of either of those we have no clue about because apparently that's not as important as seeing pictures of Prime Minister and skin suit wrapped around bonfire remains, Theresa May, having a right jolly at the incident site, holding babies and giving fist bumps. Because apparently there's nothing that gives her feels like hanging around a place where people had their feels attacked. Russia have continued to deny the nerve agent attack and stories have been floating around as to whether the nerve agent is definitely from russia or like a type that started in russia or had a cousin in russia that it met once at a family gathering or had read about russia in a book sometime Labour leader and regular extra for old French children's books, Jeremy Corbyn, suggested definitive evidence was needed and international treaties are followed before Russia is blamed for the attack, to which the Conservatives and other Labour MPs responded by saying, oh, you're a traitor and some sort of ally of Putin, because as we all know, that is what Putin is all about, you know, finding evidence and following international treaties. I mean, what sort of arsehole would want to make sure they had all the evidence before accusing a country with more than 4,000 nuclear weapons of attacking a cathedral city? That is so boring and so totally un-British, which is why I'm super pleased that we have Foreign Secretary and water-wiggly filled with lard Boris Johnson who can just cut to the chase and say things like he did on a Mars show that Russia's denials are not the response of a country that believes it's innocent. Slam. And then five minutes later when he was questioned on if he played tennis with the wife of a former Russian minister for a £160,000 donation to the Conservative Party, Boris said, Russians are not to blame here. I get it. I get it, Boris. Friends close and enemies even closer, so they basically help fund your political party a shitload and you really couldn't do without them, right? I see the Conservatives' game here. You show them, Russians, Conservatives. I mean, what next? Maybe just tell them where you stand by asking for £1 million in return for a game of beer pong and soggy biscuit. In other news, Chancellor of the Exchequer and only person whose shadow is more colourful than they are, Philip Hammond, unveiled a slightly better growth forecast and falling debt as part of his very boring spring statement. None of that was enough for him to announce an end to austerity though, but he did say, hey, there may be possible spending rises in the future. Woohoo everyone! There may be possible spending rises. Well, that's pretty reassuring, right? I mean, he couldn't have been more vague if he'd popped out a crystal ball and said so he could tell someone in the comments whose name begins with a letter that they'll probably go somewhere at some point it was as I said a hugely boring spring statement overall but Hammond still retorted to comments that he is like the Winnie the Pooh character Eeyore by saying actually the Eeyores are across the chamber and he is at his most positively tigger like well I guess he's definitely promoting a fictional cartoon notion that the economy is bouncing. In the US, President and swollen jelly baby Donald Trump is proving to be even more unhinged than the used door shop. As the past week had him fire Secretary of State and good guy from an 80s film but bad guy from a 90s film, Rex Tillerson, over Twitter, before then getting his own Dobby the house elf and Attorney General Jeff Sessions to fire the head of the FBI, Andrew McCain, for misconduct. When Trump said during his campaign that he'd be giving jobs to the American people, I didn't realise it was because by the end of his presidency, everyone will have worked for the White House for at least five minutes each. Trump has named Tillerson's replacement as Mike Pompeo, a war-loving neck with a face, but this hasn't yet been approved by the Senate. Pompeo has been described as being in sync with Trump's view of the world, which is a lot like commending an earthworm for being in sync with a slug's concept of etiquette. Meanwhile, McCabe was fired as FBI head just two days before he was due to retire and receive his full pension, all because the Trump administration has said he has allegations of misconduct against him. Yes, the Trump administration accusing someone else of misconduct. I swear if Trump lived in a glass tower, firstly it'd somehow still be gold, and secondly he'd be chucking boulders within seconds before blaming everyone else for everything breaking and saying how he'd always wanted to live outside anyway. The data company that worked with both Trump's campaign and the Vote Leave campaign, Cambridge Analytica, have come under fire after the Observer revealed that they harvested 50 million Facebook profiles to build a system that may have influenced potential voters in 2016. Because by seeing who posts those stupid positive life message memes, they'll know exactly who'd be susceptible to any old shit. And lastly, George Osborne and Tony Blair have joined forces in a collaboration more unwanted than Brian May and Dappy, though in this case, Osborne and Blair are somehow both of those people all of the time. This unholy union is so they can warn that there is a gap in centre politics, and fingers crossed they both fall down it and stay trapped there for years. No, there is still no baby. They are now ten days late, although to be fair, considering the weather, I sort of don't blame Tiny Dooyab for not really wanting to come out. Sorry, what I meant to say is Hello, Parpole Brods uh, Thanks to your previous guest, Michael Marshall, for that one well, I think it works uh, Parpole Brods, means you're all Brods out there You could be a Broderick or a Brodwin, if you wish um, I can't think of any other things To start with that. Anyway, um, let me know what you think. Um, Yes, uh, there is another podcast, uh, despite me thinking there wouldn't be one because it's almost as if you can't control when a baby arrives. Although it is now getting to the point where my wife is planning what to do if the baby just stays in her forever and she has to just carry it around in a wheelbarrow like some sort of alternative Viz character. Um, Anyway, what I mean is this is a shortish episode because I don't have an interview lined up because I thought I wouldn't need one and I don't have loads of time to write because I'm too busy shouting at my wife's stomach to hurry up and wondering if I can lure out the baby with bacon or something like you would do a parasite. Anyway, um, thank you very much uh, for listening. Thank you for the couple of reviews, whoever gave those. And please do add more of those, uh, if you can, to iTunes or wherever you like to add reviews. And welcome to the new subscribers that have arrived over the past couple of weeks. I'm sure it's hugely baffling to tune into a weekly podcast. It's mostly me complaining about how there shouldn't be a podcast this week. But I'm very pleased you do, and please do spread the word and get even more people to listen in to a sort of baby watch podcast that happens to have politics and shit jingles on the side. Speaking of which, um, thank you to Chris who loved the weird Tom Waits version of the jingle last week and to Duncan who absolutely fucking hated it and said it almost drove him to diving out of a window. That is exactly the sort of response I like on this show, both sides. You can never say uh, that I'm partisan anyway, there you go, that's complete balance. Um, So taking both of those views into consideration, here is this week's punk-themed admin noise. You're welcome. It's a big to the show, here's some things that you should know if you want to donate to Pop- My neighbours hate that version an awful lot as well. Uh, If you particularly love or hate the admin jingle, please let me know what styles you'd like future ones in. Or feel free, here's another thing, to maybe make and send in your own versions, all of which uh, you can do at... What if you just want to say how? (laughs) Hehehehe. <laughs> Um, Yeah, seriously, if you'd like to do your own one uh, Then just send it in to those addresses I can publish the lyrics up on the Facebook page if you like Um, So, as I said, no interview on this week's show Uh, It's all my not-at-all dulcet tones Whining away at your eardrums Like the world's most apathetic alarm system And what will I be whining? Well, surprise, surprise I will whine a little Brexit I will whine a whole lot of Russian around And I will whine just a smidgen of this nonsense Not sure if you're aware, but the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport are planning to implement compulsory age verification checks on porn sites in the UK, which is odd because the government seemed quite happy for people of all ages to see everyone getting screwed through their policies. These age checks were meant to come without warning (laughs) in April, but they've had to be delayed due to, well, the DDCMS not really having a clue how to do it. Do it! Do it! Is it like sexing? Anyway, uh, stopping children from stumbling onto explicit sites is obviously very important. But the ideas put forward and how to do it would mean credit card checks or passport authentication, which would mean those checks would need to have safeguards for privacy and security. Otherwise, you could find that next time you go through border control, that the guards know a little bit too much about your preferences. I mean, it would definitely change the meaning of a hard or soft border. (laughs) Um, The haven't yet released guidelines as to what the regulations should be and no one really knows how it's going to be done so it's unlikely that any of this age verification checks will happen anytime soon and until then their plans would just be very much like how the possibility of sex was when I was a teenager you know just vague made-up notions of how it will work nothing much happening anytime soon and when it does it'll no doubt be a huge disappointment for everyone involved. Last week, depending on which papers you read Ha! Who am I kidding? No one reads papers anymore Sorry, I mean, depending on who you follow online You either saw that the Conservatives have cut free school meals eligibility that could deprive a million kids Or you read how Universal Credit now means 50,000 more children get school meals than did before Now, from my lefty generally not a dick i have got to hate the government biased viewpoint, I took the former as gospel. I mean, of course the Conservatives have deprived kids of food. Next they'll have an initiative to snatch candy straight from babies and hire unpaid wardens to walk around telling puppies to fuck off. The second headline about Universal Credit doing any good seems bonkers when it's generally known as the political version of failed expensive online app Vero. What's Vero? Exactly. But the truth is, both headlines are sort of right. The vote last week rejected Labour MP Angela Rayner's bid to block the motion that children from Year 3 and above with a family who earn more than £7,400 will no longer be eligible for free school meals. That means all childrens in Years 1, 2 or reception, which I still think is child labour because how can they let you know, how can children let visitors in or take calls? Anyway, they will all still get free school meals, as will anyone already entitled to them, and of course anyone whose family earns less than £7,400 will do as well. The Department of Education has estimated that this change will mean 50,000 more school children will get free school meals than under the previous benefit system. But Labour used figures from the Children's Society who stated that under the notion that all children would get free school meals, then 2.8 million would be entitled. But with these new changes, 1 million of those now wouldn't be. Plus, the government have always said their policy of free school meals for all would not be permanent and the enrolment for these school meals isn't automatic. So now schools will have to waste time encouraging parents to sign up, which will probably be an annoyingly difficult series of phone calls or emails to people that never respond to you and then you start to wonder if there's just a ringing phone in an empty room in a desolate building with a dog barking at it. So yeah, this new eligibility test means more kids get food than before, but still not as many kids as could get food, so not really amazing. But really, they're all just hypothetical children at the moment anyway, so you can kind of just imagine that they eat what you want or don't want them to, because there's every chance, you know, the government will just antagonise Russia so much that they either nuke us or invade, and then all our children will be too busy eating cabbage in a gulag to go through eligibility tests anyway. Yes, that is a horrible and quite far-fetched scenario, but alternatively, as they are hypothetical children, we could also imagine that actually they'll be having daily banquets after Theresa May got stolen by flying monkeys, and it's all okay and lovely and sunny, apart from, you know, the rise in childhood obesity from all the banquets and the constant worry that the flying monkeys will return and take much less deserving individuals. Oh god, it got dark again. There's no escaping it.
0: up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to Bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off
2: your first purchase. That's Bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. All publicity is good publicity, as they say. And if they, whoever they are, are right, then this week Russia's PR people are having all of the cocaine and shampers, as Russia is all over the news like a rash. In Russia, the presidential elections led to Putin winning his fourth term and another six years of power to add to his previous 18, all in all making you wonder if the rules of Russian roulette now just involve firing a pistol at your opponent till they die and then taking all of their stuff. In Syria, the never-ending saga that's more depressing than EastEnders with even more atrocious acting, Russia have backed Assad's regime using internationally banned weapons on the people of Eastern Ghouta, killing just under 2,000 so far. In the US, the Mueller inquiry rages on, investigating the possible Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election, because really, how else do you explain that dried apricot with horror teeth winning? And here in the UK, Putin's government are the major suspects in the use of a nerve agent to poison a former intelligence officer exiled in the UK and his daughter. Oh, and now another Russian exile, Nikolai Gleshkov, who police deemed died by compression to the neck and so are considering that to be a murder case too. To be honest, I'm really not sure that they were right. None of this seems like great publicity unless you really, really want dibs on the role of the next Bond villain. Now, for long-time listeners, you might remember back in episode 49 when I spoke to comedian and political translator Konstantin Kissin, whose family were politically exiled from Russia and now living in the UK. And that's worth going back and listening to for a background into Russian politics under Putin. But for today's podcast, I just want to look at the story in the UK because there's a lot of info to get through and also a lot of info that we don't have that I can quite happily and easily tell you we don't have because I'm very informed at lacking knowledge about things. Also, I should say that this doesn't contain any conspiracy theories, just what we now know. Um, If you've seen my last stand-up show, you'll know my opinion is that humans are generally too incompetent to manage conspiracies, but it is often nicer to imagine that someone has the smallest of clues what they're doing, as often, especially in the case of the British government, the truth that they are as clueless as you or me is far more terrifying. Anyway, here's what we know so far about the poisoning of Sergei Skripal in a punchy, bullet-style format. Yes, that's right. I'm rushing through it. Thing one, who is Sergei Scripper? Sergei Skripal, the victim of the attack, is a former Russian military intelligence officer who became a double agent, or agent-agent as I call them, for the UK intelligence services in the 1990s. Apparently he had the code name Forthwith, because either he didn't fuck around with intel, or they already had three other double agents with, uh, stuff. Anyway, he was arrested in 2004 in Russia and sentenced to 13 years in prison, but was swapped along with three other Russian nationals in prison for espionage in 2010 for 10 Russian agents arrested in the US. And that must be quite nice, knowing that you're worth two and a bit of them. He was pardoned by then-Russian President Dmitry Medvedev and moved to Salisbury in 2011, where he kept providing UK and Western intelligence services with intel. I don't know what on Salisbury, I guess. I mean, I've seen hot fuzz. Thing two, what was the nerve agent used? Is it Russian? The nerve agent that was used in the attack on March the 4th on Sergei and his daughter has been identified as Novichok by Porton Down which is a science park in Wiltshire that also sounds like a catchphrase from a naval-based game show. Port on down! Novichok was developed in Russia between 1971 and 1993, and was said by the scientists who developed them to be the deadliest nerve agents ever made, and that is some serious humble bragging. They were created specifically to be undetected by standard 70s and 80s NATO detection equipment, to defeat NATO chemical protection gear, to be safer to handle than other older agents and to somehow get around all the chemical weapons conventions list of prohibited nasty shit. Basically, this wasn't done at some sort of nerve agent sleepover weekend, this was created to do proper horrors. Former versions of it had been used before to poison the head of the Russian Business Roundtable and his secretary, Uh, a murder that another banking rival was convicted for, but many believe he was framed by Russian security services who actually did it. And that's quite smart. I mean, who would trust a banker's word over anyone else's? The main development site of Novichok, which was located in Uzbekistan, was shut down between 1999 and 2002 by the US Department of Defense, in collaboration with the Uzbekistan government, though a British chemical weapons expert says Novichok was only actually produced in Russia and just tested in Uzbekistan. Last November at The Hague, a plaque was unveiled at the HQ for the Organisation for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, commemorating the destruction of all Russian stockpiles of all its chemical weapons. That was about 40,000 tonnes of chemicals, which is more than any other country in the world had, except maybe the Creamfields Weekender. OPCW say none of its member states now carry Novichok, and Russia is a member of the OPCW, so I guess that must mean them. In fact, the only countries that aren't a member of the OPCW are Israel, who signed the convention but didn't ratify it, Egypt, North Korea, Palestine and Sudan, who are eligible but haven't done it yet. Because, you know, uh, I'll get around to it, there's loads of stuff to do, but I'll do a wash on first. And China, which has a limited recognition of the international community, but says, hey, we agree with it, even though we don't know who most of you are. Have we met before somewhere? I think that's what that means, I think. The OCPW have now been sent a sample of the agent that poisoned Skripal and his daughter, and tests could take up to two weeks because them is thorough. So, fingers point to Russia, or a Russian agent that somehow stockpiled Novichok in the UK, or a rogue agent who also had their own supplies, or as Russia suggested, Porton Down, apparently. Yeah, sure, that'd work. The scientists at Porton Down Science Park got real pissed, thought fuck Salisbury, and then had a right old go. And then later, when hungover, identified it and thought, fuck, we did that. Quick, let's say it was Russians because no one's like them since Ivan Drago. Yeah, I think that seems a bit implausible. But as yet, unless there's evidence we don't know of, which is likely as why would anyone share it with me, there's no definite culprit. And if you want to play the murder mystery game, then Russia is too obvious, as that's who everyone would think it is from the start, and actually it's the old lady who no one suspects. But if you want to play the real life game of actual horrible shit that happens, it does mostly look like it's Russia. Thing three! But why would Russia do it? Well, that is a good question, because they've got the World Cup coming up, and that'll bring in such big bucks, they don't really want tourists not coming in case they get done in for sharing match tips. And at the time that the poisoning happened, it was also the lead-up to the presidential election, and proof that Putin ordered assassinations of Russians in exile abroad might have meant that he got a very slightly smaller margin from the election he was going to win anyway. But, you know, that margin means a lot to his image. And by that, I mean his image of a misshapen rubber bodysuit of Ross Kennedy. Also, it does really mess up any other sweet spy swaps that Russia might want to conduct in the future. When might they want to do that? I have no idea. It's spy stuff. No one knows ever when anyone does spy stuff, unless they're really shit spies, obviously. I mean, look, I don't know. Maybe Russia did it because they just got pissed and thought, fuck Salisbury. Thing four, is Corbin a Russian collaborator? Jeremy Corbyn's statement basically said We should condemn Russia for its shit record on human rights but we need evidence before we say it's definitely them and sometimes UK intelligence services can be shit. I'm paraphrasing but that's kind of what the statement was which whether you love him or hate him like the Marmite politician he is sounds pretty sensible, doesn't it? I mean, his record on these sort of things is not bad. I mean, saying, hey, we should have some evidence of these WMDs before we evade Iraq. Oh, oh, you've done it. And then he did kind of the same with Libya and Syria and Afghanistan too, all of which have obviously proved him totally wrong because they turned out to be sweet, sweet successes and hooray for the UK saving the world again. What? Oh, really? Uh Oh, dear. To be honest, as a civilian knowing that Russia has 4,000 nukes, a strong relationship with China, a ton of strong connections with Middle Eastern countries, and supplies just under 40% of gas and oil to the European Union, including the UK, it sort of feels like it would be smart to make sure it was definitely, definitely them before we poke that angry bear with a long pointy stick. But I guess. That's not very British, is it? Or fun. And how dare Jeremy Corbyn politicise a murder attempt by um, expressing caution. Total dick. If he was a super British patriot, he'd be telling Putin to go fuck himself in a pit of borscht with a dead eagle and then he'd tell Russia that we're going to fire our out-of-date Trident system that the UK has to OK first. Straight at them, if we're allowed. And then maybe if they blow us all up, we won't have to go through with all this Brexit shit. Yeah, British values. Weirdly, Theresa May has not given Corbyn access to the same level of intelligence briefings that she's had on Salisbury, even though that's usually the done thing with opposition leaders. But hey, I guess there's nothing like politicising a murder attempt. Thing 5! What
1: is the Magnitsky
2: Agreement? Well, firstly, uh, the Magnitsky Agreement is not an awesome PI series from the 90s, but it is instead a US piece of legislation that was signed by Obama, oh, do you remember him? Yeah, a US president who said things like he actually meant them and could structure sentences. Oh, good times. Um, It was created after the death of Sergei Magnitsky, who died in real suspicious circumstances in a Moscow prison after whistleblowing on fraud done by Russian tax officials. He was found chained to his bed in a puddle of his own piss, but, you know, not in a Saturday night way. Officials sent for a psychiatrist instead of a doctor, causing him to die from pancreatitis while screaming in pain. Fun. Anyway, the Magnitsky Act made immediate sanctions against anyone involved or who participated in the detention, abuse or death of Sergei Magnitsky, or was involved in the crimes he whistleblow against, or anyone who benefited financially from anything that happened to him. The UK has its own version of the Magnitsky Agreement that was being debated in the House of Lords recently to include sanctioning anyone who's been found guilty of human rights violations. And now if the government decides to put it through, we'll probably also include anyone with even the tiniest connection to the Salisbury attack. So then poor and down scientists should be bricking it right but seriously though a ton of russian officials have properties in london worth millions and over three thousand russian kids are enrolled in uk schools so by banning certain people from entering the uk it could really really pee them off and then all their properties would just sit all empty in london you know like all those other ones owned by other overseas investors thing six but would the tories do that when they get so many bucks from the russians uh clever asking me the Conservatives received over £800,000 in Russian-linked donations since 2010, including £160,000 from a banker who is married to Putin's former deputy so she could play tennis against Boris Johnson, which I assume is as challenging as playing football against a flattened Bournemouth you've stuck a shoe on. The same banker spent 30 pounds at an auction for dinner with Gavin Williamson, you know, so you can show her his World Cup stickers and tell her all about his day at school, probably. There are various guidelines on donations set out by the Electoral Commission, which means they have to be from permissible sources in the UK and declared and reported. And while the Conservatives will most likely have done all of that, it still doesn't mean that ejecting a lot of rich Russians won't have an effect on their bank account. Personally, I'm hoping they don't eject them, mainly because the next logical move for that Russian banker is to bid to go abseiling with David Davis, and he then probably won't plan for it even though he says he has, and then it will have hilarious consequences as he's stuck up a cliff for fucking ages. So, that's where we're at. I hope that's caught you up. Uh, the UK now has the backing of the EU, Canada and the US, sort of, in demanding Russia answer the UK's questions. But, you know, with something other than Porton a bastards. And maybe, in a few weeks, the OCPW will be able to say exactly where the chemical weapon is from. And when they say Porton Down Science Park, we'll all feel like fucking idiots. Brexit fallout! Brexit fallout! Brexit fallout. Real quick Brexit fallout this week. Uh, the UK and EU have made a decisive step, which is exciting. I'm guessing the EU were leading and the UK have tried to avoid clumsily stepping on their toes, as they often have been previously. This decisive step is an agreement that there will be a 21-month transition period after March next year, which means there won't be a cliff edge in 2019. But instead, there will be one on January the 1st, 2021. Yeah, we can ring in the new year by actually forgetting old acquaintances, which I'm sure isn't the point of that song at all. We will still be following EU laws during the transition time period, including the Commons Fisheries Policy, which means the UK won't yet have control over its own waters and who can access them. Because, you know, fish totally obey international boundaries all the time. I mean, Nemo had to go through a shitload of passport checks if you watch all the boring deleted scenes. The Scottish Fishermen's Federation have warned the EU to be careful what they do over those two years, or the consequences later would be severe. Like what? A fish head in their bed? Fishermen's friends will be sold as mints for bastards abroad? Something like that? No, apparently they mean things like haunted Lord Snooty Jacob Rees Mogg, who said he's going to fling fish from a trawler in the Thames in protest of the fishermen betrayed by the Brexit deal. I mean, that's rubbish, because all that's doing is returning fish to their natural habitat like the world's most lackadaisical animal rights activist. I mean, what next? Unloading bacon into mud for the farmers? Vomiting up cheap booze in Wetherspoons for stupid giant-faced Tim Martin? Nonsense. Also, uh, guess what? Despite all this transition agreement, the Irish border still hasn't been solved. But hey, there's now an extra two years, so maybe, if during that time we all ignore it, it might just sort itself out and go away. Right, guys? 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 Meanwhile, the Home Office has announced that their EU citizens' rights in the UK campaign won't be going live until later this year, which means they'll have about three years to do 3.5 million registrations. So that's just under 5,000 registrations per day. And the Home Office says that they're increasing staff by 15%, but as pointed out by Labour MP Yvette Cooper, it'll be at least a 50% workload increase. Oh, that is a lot of work for not that many people to do. My solution, and you are like this, guys... Hire in a load of EU migrants to do it. Problem solved. And that's all for this week's shorter Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Thank you bazillions for listening, and please don't forget to donate on Patreon or Ko-fi, and review on iTunes or Podboob or Castarse or wherever, and generally warn others that there is a whole podcast that pretends to be about politics, but is mainly the tale of the descent of an impatient soon-to-be-father. I mean, sorry, just tell others to listen in. Please do send in your own admin jingles if you like. I will post the lyrics up on the Facebook page when I remember to. Yes, I'm still shit at doing the Facebook page. Yes, please help by posting other politics-based things on there and doing some of the work for me. Thank you. Thank you to ACAST for letting this noise taint their platform and to my brother, the last sceptic, for all the beepings and boopings that go on in the background. This may be back next week, by which point my wife may have burst, but also I'll probably be reporting on the news that Gavin Williamson has unleashed his ultimate UK defence plan of closing his eyes, putting his fingers in his ears and hoping everyone just leaves him alone. Bye! This week's show is brought to you by Gavin Williamson's Guide to Defending Your Nation with top tips on how to ward off international criminals by telling them they smell of farts, how to stop terrorism by saying anyone who does that is the worst of the worstest and his super-secret plans to line the coasts with raspberry-blowing guards to prevent invasion. Gavin Williamson's Guide to Defending Your Nation. If you don't buy it, I'll tell your mum.
1: ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.